Welcome to the worship of our God. I pray that he meets you no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter what you've done and how many times you've done it. We, <laughs> we serve a faithful God, a forgiving God. Amen? Amen? All right. Hey, let's read this prayer together. I thank God we journey with you to better than stable and a newborn king. So this Advent, we're looking at those who were given a sneak peek to God's plan to save the world. Those who knew and believed the king of heaven and earth was coming ahead of anyone else. Last week, the prophets were here with the help of our children. They showed us that we were waiting for a righteous king. This week, we look to the heavenly host and the angels who appeared to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds who brought good news of great joy that will be for all people. So look out for angels today.
angels sing. It was heavenly. Give it up for the angels. Come on, come on, come on. All right, let's go ahead and stand together. Let's sing a couple of traditional carols. All right, come on, sing your heart out, okay? Come on, this is your chance, okay? Angels from the realms of glory Wing your flight o'er all the earth and creation story now proclaims Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Shepherds in the field abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night. God us is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the
for a while. Good morning, Hillside. My name is Balthazar, longtime member of the Magi, and uh, director of philosophy for the kingdom. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Hillside today. I will bring you the church life announcements, or the kingdom life announcements, <laughs> as it might be called. First of all, I would like to join, have you join me and my two colleagues on a journey this coming weekend. We are going to find a newborn king. It pains me to say that, but he's the greatest king who ever lived. So I, I, can, I can get that out there. So we hope you will join us on this journey, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Some of our excursions are filling up very quickly, and you may not be able to find um, room in some of them, so you might want to purchase your tickets for this excursion very soon. You can do that online or you can do that at the counter after the service. Along with our journey to find this newborn king is a freedom fair that will be taking place. So you can help 
provide for the underserved of our kingdom. We kings can't do it all, so we need your help. So we please hope that you will go to the Freedom Fair and buy things for those um, in need and those who are being trafficked around the world. The Freedom Fair will be running during all the performances of the Magi except on Sunday. On Sunday, it will be here in the morning, but won't be here in the afternoon. So if you're going to a Sunday um, Magi excursion, we hope that you will um, come in the morning and get your tickets then, or get your, get your Freedom Fair stuff then. Um, then we also have the Christmas sharing tree. Um, please take a tag off the tree and also help the underserved of the kingdom. There are a few more tags on there than there were last week. It's been reloaded, so we hope you will do that, and those gifts need to be returned by um, a week from tomorrow. So take advantage of the sharing tree. You might have missed it coming in because it's in the lobby and many of you came in this way. So we encourage you to do that. Then on Christmas Day, you might recall this aforementioned uh, newborn king that I mentioned. We will be celebrating on Christmas Eve this king's um, birth and we will do that at 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. 5 p.m. is an all-family all crazy, all chaotic service. Bring your entire family, even the little ones. We're not going to have child care. We want it to be a family event, so come at 5 and bring the whole family, or come at 11 for a more traditional, music-filled, um, festive candlelight service. We hope you will be able to come to one of those. And then... Um, Finally, we want, to welcome, we want to encourage you to help decorate this place. We're going to do that on Tuesday, December 14th. And I understand there's going to be pizza at 6 p.m. And I want to try this thing called pizza because I understand it originated in the East, not in Italy like most people think. So I will be trying this pizza. Um, We'll come and decorate this place. The set will be down, and we're going to make it festive for the Christmas Eve services and all the rest of the Advent services. So with that, we hope that you will plug into the life of this church. And with that, we will take the offering. So um, you know how to do that. I think you can do that online through the website. You can leave a check here physically. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, all, all fun aside, we, uh, we give you these gifts, Lord, and we um, give them to you for your kingdom. And we give you gifts this morning um, through the offering, but we also give you these, um, these offerings of um, buying things for those who are underserved and um, blessing our community in any way we can. And so we ask that you would move our hearts to, to give generously and to um, give a real great Christmas celebration to those who might not otherwise have one this year. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Frank Canova, come on up. Good morning. Thank you, Randy. Balthazar, appreciate it. Um, my name is Frank Canova. I am honored to serve on uh, your church council this uh, year, and I'd like to invite a couple of the other members on the council just to kind of come up and stand with me as I give an update. Um, and while they're making their way up, I'll just introduce and remind you guys of the amazing team that we have assembled this year. So we've got Anna Amelie, Gloria Davidson, also on the team, Terry Hawkinson, Peter Turry, Grant Freeman, uh, Jim Robertson, Tim Brown, Christine Gilmore, and of course myself, Frank Canova, and Dan Seitz, senior pastor, also uh, serves on the council too. And since our congregational meeting back on October 24th, we've been busy the last few weeks. On our uh, November 8th council meeting, we did elect our leadership group. Uh, Jim Robertson will be continuing in the position of finance director. Uh, Tim Brown will be serving in the role of vice chair. Uh, Christine Gilmore will continue her position as secretary. And uh, I will be serving as council chair this year. So we were unanimously agreed in our... Uh, in our choices, and we are all really excited for the year to come. Um, yesterday, on Saturday, yesterday the 4th, we got together as a council. We had our annual retreat where we uh, posed ideas, we got to know each other, we spent time in discernment, quiet time, just thinking about the year in the past, the year that's to come, and we really wanted to. Uh, come away with that focused and united as a group. And it was a really rich time. We enjoyed getting to learn more about each other and just really deepening roots as we uh, 
plan to step forward as a group serving you guys, our, our Hillside family, and our Lord and his mission. Um, and lastly, with our time today, I uh, wanted to take a moment and just express some gratitude to our Hillside staff. Um, we have an amazing staff here, and not a day goes by where we don't all depend on them in some way. Whether it's unlocking doors, you know, building relationships with our ministry partners around the globe, serving our youth, resolving technical issues, uh, preparing sermons, engaging in just the business of day to day and praying over this body uh, relentlessly and faithfully. Um, we really appreciate them. And yes, thank you. Um, and at Hillside, it's been a long-standing tradition that as we enter into the Advent season, um, that we, your council, ask our family, our congregation here, to consider cheering on the Hillside, the Hillside staff in the form of a love offering. And there's several ways that you guys can participate in this. First is, you know, just make a regular Hillside donation and designate it as a love offering. Second is to use the Church Center app, uh, and you can enter the amount and, again, just identify it specifically as a love offering for staff. Third is you can mail your donation to the church. Um, fourth, if none of these really work, then contact a member of council and we'll arrange to have somebody come by and either pick it up and visit with you. Uh, and lastly, uh, you know, personal notes. You know, we've all been uh, navigating this period of time the last few years. And just really personal notes of gratitude, I think, are just taking time, you know, honoring people that have uh, really been intentional and have made a difference for you. So. Um, with that, I'll pass it back to Daniel, but appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Council. Thank you uh, to all the staff and Randy. <laughs>
was that not some beautiful Christmas music? Do you appreciate our musicians? Good morning to you. I'm Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at Hillside, and it is really great to see you today for Advent Week Part 2. Christmas is coming. We Seitzes are getting our Christmas tree this afternoon. We're very, very excited about it. But to put us all into the Yuletime spirit a little more than we are right now, I want you to do something right now. I want you to take one minute, look around, find somebody who you didn't come in with today, and I want you to share one Christmas tradition that must be observed in your home or Christmas isn't Christmas, okay? And Jack and Jenny LaSalle, I want you to meet Nick and Brittany, trade Christmas traditions, helping things out here. Go ahead. Okay, I got a question for you now that you're back after you've traded your traditions. I want to know, just raise your hand if you heard a tradition that surprised you, that you'd never thought of anything like that. Not too many, at least uh, somebody, the Golickies over there. You know, maybe you're sitting by somebody who told you about drinking glog at Christmas. Uh, we have Swedish heritage here at the church, and so sometimes you're in for those little surprises, okay, at Hillside. But at least for Allison and me, a growing tradition is to watch the best Christmas movie ever made, and sorry, Stephen Weissong, it does not involve puppets. It's a Wonderful Life. Anybody agree with me? Yes. And uh, that final scene still, after many, many viewings, gives me this huge lump in my throat. And, uh, but my real reason for bringing up It's a Wonderful Life is because at its core is a problem that our kingly visions passage provides a solution to. And you're going to see what I mean in just a minute, but let's get right to it. Malachi 3, 1 through 4, if you have your message notes with you, if somebody gave those to you when you walked in, you can find it there. If not, it's up on the screen. Listen to God's word, our second kingly vision. It says, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord." Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. This is God's word. This is a rich passage, and understanding the historical context makes it richer. But suffice it to say that the ancient writer here is promising that someday at the first Christmas, a great king would come who would purify his people, purify them so that they could live and worship rightly before him. And that God has, in fact, sent this purifying king is the best news. It's news to rejoice in this morning. It's news to live into joyfully all year. And the reason is the Christmas gift of a purifying king is the supreme solution to a nettlesome human problem, the problem of shame. And as you might know, shame has gotten a lot of attention in the culture over the last decade. And part of the surge of interest in shame is a, just a fantastic TED Talk that the psychologist Brene Brown gave about 10 years ago. And the YouTube video of her talk has gotten, I think, almost 6 million views at this point. And in this video, Brene makes the point that shame is shockingly destructive to us. And it is the cause of all sorts 
of serious mischief in our lives. One of the memorable quotes from this great talk is this one. She says, if you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three ingredients to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. And we know this to be true, don't we? When we are struggling... When we are failing in some way, circling the drain emotionally or some other way, and we bury it, we barricade ourselves away, we make things much worse, don't we? Often through all sorts of kinds of self-medicating, okay, like with a bottle or the credit card or acting out in some other way. Well, Brene goes on to offer an excellent solution. It's empathy she says. And in a continuation of this famous quote above, she says, if you put the same amount of shame in the Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. And that is powerful. And of course, Brene Brown is right. When when we take the risk of sharing our failures with a trusted friend and That friend looks at us and pours out grace and understanding and compassion. We feel liberated and a great weight is lifted from our shoulders. And that's because vulnerability and relief go together like Christmas cookies and cider. But I want to tell you, this week I've spent a lot of time thinking about the problem of shame, thinking about it from our particular perspective as Christians and trying to understand it even more deeply. And as I did, it occurred to me that shame is actually several concepts in one. And I want to show you, and to begin, let's just define shame. According to one dictionary, shame is a a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Now, that's a very, very good start. But if we think about it, we actually discover that shame can be broken down more precisely. And to help you see, I've created the shame taxonomy. And I've entitled it the Brady Bunch Box of Shame. Okay, And if you're of a certain age, you get the reference. For instance, shame can be either mild or severe. And some shame, some pain due to consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior is mild, but, you know, we wouldn't say that it's debilitating. And I'll give you an example. When I was in fifth grade at Laneview Elementary School in San Jose, we had a class pet, a little brown mouse called Herman. And the teacher strictly prohibited all of us from ever holding Herman unless she was present. And at one point, for a reason that still baffles me, because I cannot stand rodents, uh, I was seized by this overwhelming desire to have personal contact with Herman. And anyway, during a time when all the other kids were out, I don't even know why, probably playing slaughter ball, which was still allowed in the 70s, a very, very difficult, different time, I reached into the cage, and I hoisted up Herman. And if you're wondering why I would so brazenly defy my teacher, it might help to know that my fifth grade teacher was Andrea Seitz, my own mother, believe it or not. (laughs) And Herman and I were having a nice time together, connecting, sort of having that interspecies connection until Herman bit me on the finger. And it wasn't really painful, but it was so surprising and so shocking that I threw Herman. And it wasn't anger. It was just instinct. I was so surprised. And I think my feelings were hurt as well, not expecting this from Herman. Well, I pick up Herman, I put him back in the cage, and I I bolt out of the classroom and nobody found out. This is the first time anyone besides my twin brother has heard my story about uh, Herman. 
And now Darren Seitz is not going to be able to blackmail me about it anymore. Now, thankfully, Herman was fine. Nevertheless, I felt shame over this. And um, I felt a painful feeling of distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And I actually remember it to this day, thus this story. But I've got to be honest, it was pretty mild shame, okay? It certainly didn't lead me to drink too much glog in life, all right? Now, maybe that callousness is shameful. I don't know. And by the way, I could never share that story back in Davis because there were just too many vets around, okay? (laughs) But it works okay here. But the point, shame can be mild, Uh, And then, of course, pretty consequential, inconsequential. On the other hand, shame can be very severe. And when shame is severe, like Brene Brown says, it's highly destructive. I mean, really destructive. Correlating, like it does, with pathologies like addiction and depression and eating disorder. So again, first, shame can be broken down into mild and severe forms. And then secondly, shame can be either true or false. Now, by true, hear me here, I don't mean healthy or adaptive necessarily. I just mean grounded in reality, meaning the painful feeling is grounded in genuinely wrong behavior. You know, throwing around class pets just for fun (laughs) would be an example. On the other hand, if that shame, that painful feeling isn't grounded in genuinely wrong behavior, but rather wrong thinking, then it's false. And I'll give you an example of that. A teenager who feels like she's just not enough because she doesn't look like the influencers on Instagram is experiencing false shame. Because obviously there's no fault in not looking like some airbrushed model who herself, of course, does not look like her own picture And though real and painful and something to be taken very seriously by all of the adults in her life, her mentors, her shame is false or better, unwarranted, okay? So to understand false shame, you could think of George Bailey's shame from It's a Wonderful Life, right? And this is because there's nothing wrong about staying home in Bedford Falls and helping your hometown rather than going to the big city to become an architect, Now, let's set aside mild shame in both its false and true forms. Let's move aside from boxes one and two because it's mild. It doesn't mean much one way or the other. And let's just focus now on boxes three and four. Severe shame and shame in both its false and true forms in the particular sense that we've defined them. All right? Brene Brown's remedy. Deep empathy. And understanding from trusted friends is a bullseye solution for box three, shame. And this is an example that Brown gives and one that I can actually relate to. A lot of men feel shame when they're just not that handy with tools, all right? Like uh, guys like Chris Harala and Walt Jackson are here at the church, two really skilled craftsmen. And that shame that guys like me feel is real in the sense of genuinely experienced, but false in the sense that it's unwarranted, because obviously there's no rule that men have to be good with tools. Nothing about genuine or authentic masculinity requires that. So in that case, like Brown says, empathy is the perfect and adequate remedy for shame. Like when somebody says to me, Dan Seitz, you are not less of a man because you need Frank Canova to come over to your house to hang up your pull-up bar, okay? Like he did. Okay. And about that, I I can't even do one pull-up right now. But Keon Amelie is going to help me, okay? So thank you, Keon. What about box four? Empathy is a great solution for box three. What about box four? What about the case of what we've called true shame or warranted shame, meaning a painful awareness of having done something seriously and genuinely wrong? And that shame that I also have experienced from time to time. 
And empathy would certainly be part of the solution to that kind of shame, but it, it wouldn't be the whole solution, right? There would have to be more, and I'll give you an example, and I'm going to give you an intense one, all right? But why not talk about real things? Think about these three, Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, and William Bryan. What do they do? They shot Armand Arbery for no reason other than hatred. And in their case, we hope that they feel shame. We hope that these men feel a painful feeling of distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior because they have, in fact, done serious wrong. And ironically, it's because we're compassionate. It's because, as Christians, we love our enemies that we desire that they feel that painful feeling, at least for a while. Because without that feeling, without that painful awareness, there's no chance for repentance. There's no chance for heart change. There's no chance for complete transformation, which we hope for as Christians and actually believe is possible for them because of how extravagant God's grace is. It can reach everyone. Let me give you another example. Daryl Brooks, a couple of weeks ago, drives his SUV through a crowd of people at a Christmas parade, killing six, injuring 60. Similarly, at least apparently, out of hate. And again, we hope that Daryl experiences a painful feeling of distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior because he has, in fact, done something seriously wrong. We hope this as Christians, not out of spite, but ironically, out of love for Daryl. Because without that feeling, at least for a while, there's no chance for repentance. There's no chance for heart change and complete transformation, which we desire for him and which, as Christians, we believe is possible because of how extravagant God's grace is. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, those are very, very extreme examples, and they are. Let me give you a more everyday one. I know a person who knows a person who knows a person who knows a person who, over many years, through insensitive treatment, has caused very deep wounds to his wife. And I actually believe that this person feels pain over his pattern of emotional abuse. Now, this person needs empathy. And if I could get near the person, I'd want to be the one to give it. But if you think about it, empathy alone is not enough. Because if the only thing this person experiences is the neutralization of those painful feelings, then the abusive behaviors that caused the shame in the first place will continue as before, right? Ultimately causing more family damage and ironically, ultimately causing more shame. And friends, this is why the Bible's particular solution to shame, the solution we get in the kingly vision of today's passage is so powerful. It includes everything that our contemporary culture offers in terms of a solution to shame. But you know what it does? It goes way beyond it. You see, first, Jesus, the purifying king whom we're celebrating today and at Christmas, he offers empathy. In fact, he offers divine empathy. Listen to what the Bible says about him. This is Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What is Hebrews telling us? Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. Psalm 103, a passage we as a council studied yesterday in our retreat, says God understands that we're dust. But Jesus can understand because in addition to being fully divine, he's fully human. And being fully human, he felt the full weight of our temptations. And so Jesus is able to understand and have compassion for us. 
And this means something really good. It means that when we have failed and when we find ourselves buried in shame and self-contempt, we can look up into Jesus' face and we can count on his acceptance and his consolation and his embrace. And he never gives up on us. He never runs out of second chances for us. But here's the thing. He doesn't stop there. And that's because, as Malachi, the ancient prophet, writes, Jesus is not just the empathic king. Oh, he's that. But he's also the purifying king. Jesus, the king, offers empathy and repair which is our big idea for the morning. Jesus takes us into his heart and his life, and then in a process that involves our joyful participation and, and this is very important, our very close connection with other disciples, say in a birdhouse or group, he begins to refine us. And he begins to burn away our impurities, scraping away the slag until we shine. Now, someone might be thinking, especially somebody sort of new to Christianity, just sort of exploring the faith, you know, it's so hard to admit that I am fundamentally flawed, that there's something about me that's askew, which seems to be what Christianity demands. Now, admittedly, that is a very tough pill for modern people to swallow. But you know what makes it a gel cap (laughs) rather than a chalky pill? Let's go back to the Malachi passage. Look at the main metaphor right in the middle of the passage. Malachi tells us that Jesus, the purifying king, is a silversmith. What does that make us? It makes us the silver. Our impurities notwithstanding, we're still precious metal. Something that no other worldview really furnishes us. And friends, the Bible demands, and this is a serious demand of the Bible, something we must do. We must understand ourselves, the Bible says, even in our worst moments, not as muck, but as masterpieces. God's handmade masterpieces. Yes, we're marred in many ways, but we are masterpieces nonetheless. And as that understanding of our fundamental preciousness comes and lives inside us, it gives us the freedom, the margin, the ability, the confidence to acknowledge that, yeah, we do need God's reparative work to make us who he imagined we would be in the first place. And you could think about it this way. We need that restoration the same way that a priceless Renaissance painting needs its colors brightened every so often. The way that painting needs its canvas restitched. How do we do it? How do we jump into that refining process? You know, the most important way, bar none, is to jump into spiritual community. We need each other. We need to be closely connected with other disciples on the way. And then with those co-journeyers, you know what we do? We share who we are. We share our struggles. We're vulnerable. We're confident that we won't be shamed because Christians don't do that to each other. We don't shame each other, and we definitely don't do that here at Hillside. And with the people who love us and believe in us and who are already beginning to see God's reflection emerging in us, you know what we do? We plot practical ways in partnership with the king who loves us, the purifying king, just to to put off the old and to put on the new through every kind of possible way. And you know how else we submit to the refining fire of our loving and purifying king in times when we're feeling bad? And just more broadly, you know what we do? It's convenient. We take communion. We take the meal because in communion, you know what we experience so much? But we experience the ultimate divine empathy 
we are reminded of the absolute fullness of our forgiveness. And in communion, we experience the real presence of the king who loved us so much he went to the cross for us. And the king who at the same time is relentless about refining us into the purest silver until, just like the master silversmith, he can see his own reflection. We're going to go to the table now. Our purifying king, our loving king, you know, he invites all of us, everybody in this room who has trusted him a sin bearer to share this feast that he's provided for us, for our good, our joy, our nourishment. And what's more, we are welcome to bring all of our failures, all of our futilities, all of our frustrations, all of our shame, whether true or false. We're welcome to come to him, to throw ourselves before him, to receive his strength for the journey ahead, to power on in whatever's next. Before we take these elements, let's take a few minutes. Let's, let's enjoy it. Let's be silent before him. Let's enjoy his presence. You know, he's here. He's here. The room is heavy with his presence. He's in each one of us who knows him personally. He's among us collectively. And if we brought in shame today of any kind, you know what? Let's do this. Let's let it melt away in the fire of his grace and forgiveness, which we have because of his sacrifice for us. And if that shame grows out of something illusory, like our failure to live up to some kind of illegitimate standard, let's ask Jesus to remind us of who we are, silver, a precious metal. And because of that, we are of infinite value. We don't have to prove anything to anyone. We exist for his pleasure alone. And on the other hand, if that shame grows out of an awareness of something we've done wrong, let's confess it to him. We have a faithful high priest. And then let's similarly let it melt away in the fire of his grace and mercy. And then let's tack on a prayer that he would lead us down any new refining road he would have us tread in joyful expectation of real change. Let's take that time now. We have a purifying king, king who's here, king who receives us today, no frown, big smile of welcome, arms open wide. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, purifying King, righteous King, to you be praise and honor for giving yourself, shedding your blood, letting your body be broken in death for us so that we might have the forgiveness of sins, inclusion in your worldwide family made up of people from every nation, and everlasting life. Bless, O oh God, this bread which we eat together, this cup which we drink together. Let us through this blessed bread and blessed cup become partakers of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the body of Christ broken for us. Let's eat together. This is the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us this morning as living members of your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus the King. And in these moments, you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of the body and blood. We ask now that you would pour out your peace your joy, confidence, and grant us an ever deeper capacity to feel your empathy, your compassion, and Lord, an ever more willing spirit to participate in your refining, your renewing, your silversmithing. And we pray this in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Child of Bethlehem Walked the road to Calvary The child of Bethlehem Bore the cross alone The Lamb for sin is for all the world to see the child of Bethlehem died for me the child of Bethlehem walked the road to child of Bethlehem wore the cross alone the lamb for sin is the shame for all the world to see the child of Bethlehem died 
the lamb for sinners slain For all the world to see A child of Bethlehem The Savior is born, Jesus, the love song of God. Jesus, the love song of God. You're the love song. You're the love song. You so love the world. You're the love song. He came upon the midnight that glorious song From angels So I think what people need the most, what we need the most 
during this time is hope. All around us, there are people who are hopeless. And I don't mean that in, like, the, you know, hopeless. I mean, they don't have hope for the future. I spoke to this guy. His name is Vamsi. Okay, this is right here. And he had no hope. I looked at him, and I, I have never prayed for anyone so much as I prayed for Vamsi. Because I looked at him, and there was no hope at all. And this season, we are the people who have the most hope of all people. Amen. Amen. And so I want to encourage us this week as we go to let that hope spread around to those around us, the people we meet. Hear somebody else's story. Sit down and listen to somebody else. Recognize their humanity and why God put you in their lives. I pray that we don't go on autopilot this Advent season. Where we just run around buying gifts and, and giving gifts and receiving gifts. And we forget the meaning of Christ in Christmas. Hope for all, for the world around us. I pray that as you go this week, that you will have that hope. And you will spread that hope around. If you need prayer this morning, our prayer team is up front to pray for you this morning. If there's something heavy on your heart, uh, you can come. And our able uh, brother Floyd and our sister Janet will be glad to pray for you. God bless you as you go. Have a wonderful week.